In Acts chapter 11, we're going to read two verses of Scripture. We've been here quite a bit over the last few weeks, and on this final Sunday of this series, we're going to revisit this passage yet once again. Acts chapter 11, verse 22 and 23. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. That with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray? God's blessings upon the ministry of his word and upon his servant today. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. Thank you for everything that has happened to this very moment. The wonderful, wonderful, sweet presence of your spirit. And Lord, as we come to the breaking of the bread of life, Lord, as we pull up to the banqueting table of the master, we believe and trust that that same spirit is going to speak life into us through the Bible. Let our hearts be encouraged. Let our souls be strengthened. And Lord, let us be challenged in this tenuous, uncertain time and season that we find ourselves in. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise for these blessings in Jesus' precious and holy name. And the church said, Amen. What is a great church? For the last four Sundays, we have talked about the characteristics of a great church. Not in our eyes, but in the eyes of God, our Heavenly Father. We've taken the word great and kind of used it as an acrostic and dealt with different subjects each week that were biblically aligned in pattern. G in the acrostic stood for grace. And the key lesson that we pulled from that message was that, like Antioch, we must be a pure grace church. When he came to Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad. We must be a church of grace that opens the door of salvation to the sinner and yet closes the door on sin. I still believe today that the church can love unconditionally without compromising the truth. And then we talked about R for relational. And the key lesson we gleaned from the church in Antioch was that relationships, even when they're heavy or controversial or burdensome, they help us to conform more to the image of Christ than anything else. We must have a vertical relationship with God, and we must have a horizontal relationship with those around us. God never created us to be islands to ourselves. And then he went on to tell us, Jesus did, that by this, by our relationships, by our, our connectivity to each other, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. 
And then, of course, we talked about E representing evangelism and how the Antioch believers accomplished what Jesus had charged them and us in Mark 16 and 15, and that is to go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And there was two key nuggets that came out of that message that bear repeating today. Number one is that each and every one of us need to take advantage of those fleeting moments that have eternal implications. God gives us fleeting moments more often than we realize and embrace. And, he, and with those fleeting moments that we have interacting with unsaved people, it has eternal implications. The second key nugget we need to, to make sure is that we assure every soul that's in our sphere of influence that is wandering out there, yes, someone is looking for you. Yes, someone is out to catch you for the cause of Christ. Last week in the in the word great, uh, in the acrostic, we, we talked about the word, the letter A, we talked about the word anointing. And I'm telling you what a move of God we experienced last Sunday. What a powerful transformation that took place. The anointing, the empowerment. And in John's letter in 1 John chapter 2, he writes and he tells us that the anointing abides within us. And I, I coined this uh, little phrase that, because that anointing abides within me, I am God-greased and Jesus-juiced and spirit-soaked. And I embrace that today. That's who I am in the Lord. And, and the Lord wants us to take that anointing. And he wants us to discern our divine assignment. And then appropriate that anointing to fulfill our assignment for the glory of God. As some maybe have, and maybe you have tried, maybe you've thought even coming into today, uh, maybe you've attempted to guess, well, on this last Sunday, what does that letter T stand for? Maybe it even has you stumped. You've thought of all kinds of words. But I'll tell you today, in the word great, in the life of a church, the letter T today stands for tenacious, tenacity. Another word for tenacity would be steadfast, immovable, staying the course, determined, having some stickability. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, in the, in the passage before us, the church at Antioch had some tenacity. For the Bible says Barnabas encouraged them all that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. In Joshua chapter 23, in verse 8, the command is given unto us, cleave unto the Lord your God. In Job chapter 11, in verse 15, we are exhorted to be steadfast, and if we're steadfast, we shall not fear. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, he said these words, he said, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we read the apostle Paul writes again and says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith 
Christ has made us free. In Philippians 1.27, again, he writes, Stand fast, therefore, uh, in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Peter wrote in his second letter and said, Don't fall from your own steadfastness. In other words, you need to stand fast and you need to be steadfast. I'll say that again. You need to stand fast and you need to be steadfast. In other words, you gotta, you got to keep on. On keeping on. You've got to have some tenacity about you. you got to hang in there and don't quit and, and you, you don't give up. You keep on keeping on. You see, according to history, the Antioch church in Acts chapter 11, it would last for four to five hundred years into the fourth or the fifth century. It would span ten generations continuing to reproduce believers of Christ well into the future. I thought about this church, our church, this week, how we just celebrated a hundred years of ministry in the town, in the county of Pulaski. And some of you have been here for half of that period of time or a fourth of that period of time or maybe even longer. And, and you've seen people come and go and you, you've seen the work of the ministry continue. Can you imagine a church that lasts four uh, to five hundred years. You see, as, as much as I love and appreciate the ministry of, of this church, its grace and its relationships and its, its evangelism and its anointing, we cannot completely be a great church in the eyes of God unless there are a group of believers that will say we are a church of longevity that has been produced by tenacity. I'll say that again. We are determined. It doesn't matter if people leave us or they stay. It doesn't matter if the building burns to the ground or stands for the next 100 years. The bottom line is our faith is in Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's not in a structure. Our faith is in the Lord, and we are a body of believers that are determined. We're going to stay the course. We're going to stand fast. We're going to be steadfast, and we're going to make a difference, and our children and our children's children and their children are going to know there's been a light that shines in Pulaski County. It's consistent. It's powerful, and it's making a difference to the generations coming behind us. That's the kind of tenacity God looks for in his church. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> a core, a remnant. I thought just this morning there's been a core, a remnant of believers that has carried us to this very moment. And a tenacious core and remnant must continue to carry us into the destiny God has for us. Lyle Schaller reports that we plant 5,100 churches a year, but at the same time we're closing 13,000 churches. What a, what a deficit. But can I tell you today that 
great churches are transgenerational churches. Can I tell you today that great Christians are transgenerational Christians, which means I'm here to stay. My children and my grandchildren are too important for me to be in and out and up and down and hopping from one feeding pasture to another. Well, no one knows my troubles. No one knows the hurt and the pain that I've gone through. How I've been wounded. How I've been offended. How I've had to deal with difficult circumstances. Friend, I love you today, but you are not the only one that is struggling. I'm telling you, the economy is affecting everything everyone. I'm telling you the evil world is affecting everyone. COVID is affecting everyone whether you choose to believe that or not. This time is not for the faint of heart or for the weak of faith. This time is a time that you better have some tenacity. The Bible says because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The Bible says in the last days men shall be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. I'm telling you, if your priority is self-preservation, you better get your eyes back on Jesus. If you're starting to love yourself to survive more than you are serving the Lord to thrive, you better get refocused on who you are in the Lord and get some tenacity that says, come hell or high water, my feet are planted on the rock Christ Jesus and I shall not be moved. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> there is a remnant. There is a remnant that despite everything going on that is determined to be blessed rising up and blessed lying down, to be blessed going out and to be blessed coming in. You say, how can they be blessed in such a tumultuous time? I'll tell you exactly how they can be blessed. The answer is found in the very first chapter and the first verse of the book of Psalms. It says it like this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. I'm telling you, you've got to regroup. You may have to get a second win. You may need to square your shoulders and let the devil know and everyone else know you're not going anywhere. You're part of the church of Jesus Christ. It happens to be a great church because it is a church that is determined to fulfill its mission no matter what's going on in our environment. You see, there's something that's been grieving my heart now for about two weeks. Usually when George Barner or Tom Rayner put out research, you can take it to the bank. Research about church and ministry and growth. Tom Rayner, many people have asked him, many church leaders have asked him, during this time, when will all the church members, attenders, return to in-person services? 
And he, he wrote, he said, leaders do not like my response. Because the answer is never. You see, here is the proof and the truth that 20 and 30% of the church attenders will not return to your church following this quarantine. That would be 72 people that would disappear from the Pulaski Church of God since March 1st. Think about that. Man, I'm trying to track them down. I'm thinking in my mind, who in the world are they? Who are all these people? 72 people missing. Tom Rainer said they're, they're grouped into five designations of people. See, I know there's some of them watching me right now. They're probably going to get a little angry. But if they deal with the Holy Ghost rather than their carnal flesh, God will reveal the truth to them. He said the first group is the decreasing attendance members. He said these were your attenders who at one time attended church almost four times a month. But before the pandemic, the frequency of attendance declined to twice a month or even once a month. Now COVID has accelerated that trend. They are now attending zero times a month. Then he said there's another group called the disconnected group. He said that's the group that really to stay connected to the church as a whole needs to be connected to a fellowship group, a smaller group. And can I tell you, here's truth, we may not like to admit it, but as the church gets larger, in a lot of ways, it's got to get smaller. Really and truthfully, people need fellowship, they need connectivity. And when we're not able to have that connectivity and it's been limited, that causes some people to fall through the cracks because they've been thriving on the, the fellowship aspect of their connectivity to the church. So they become disconnected church members. And then there's thirdly another group called the, the church is another activity church member. This, these are the church members that you see gathered as yet, a, they see church attendance as yet another activity on par or lower than other activities. They, they were the church members who let inclement weather keep them from church, but not their children's Sunday soccer games. Commitment to the church was a, was a low priority before the pandemic, and they have no commitment to the church post-pandemic. <laughs> Y'all getting quiet on me now. And then there's number four, fourth group is the, the constant critic church member. These are the church members that always had some complaints for the pastor. My goodness, in fact, your, your pastor may be dying a, a death by a thousand cuts. And, and, and they're likely still complaining, even though they have not returned to an in-person service. And as a result, many of them will not return at all. This is, this is statistical proof. And then there's one group left, the, the fifth group, and that's the, that's the cultural Christian church members. They're, they're part of a declining group well before the pandemic. Oh, yes, this, this is that group that uh, they, these were those church members who likely were not Christians but came to church to be accepted culturally. And today there are few cultural expectations of people to attend church in our day. It, it, things have changed so much. And so these, these cultural attenders now, they, they, uh, they, they know that things have changed and there's not a commitment to church anymore. And it's no big deal now to, to not even go. Nobody will even know that they're missing. They 
don't even need to return. And I, I tell you, I've been grieved about this for the last couple of weeks. And, and I, I tell you, I realize that there are those watching me right now that I love and I care for and I cherish greatly. And the first chance their doctor gives them the green light, I can tell you there are people that desperately want to be here today but cannot be because their doctor forbids them from coming right now. And I can appreciate that. But let's be honest, every one of us here probably know of someone that this quarantine has led to their compromise. I'm not judging them. I'm just stating the facts. But I want to stand and say with confidence this morning, I am planted. Praise God. There is a spirit of tenacity that is within me that states I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be unmovable. And I will abound in the Lord. If everyone falls at my right side, I've set my face like a flint. And I'm going toward the prize and the destiny and the eternity and my blessed future. And the devil doesn't have enough in his arsenal to distract me from arriving at my goal. Come hell or high water, whatever happens November 3rd, I'm still committed to God. I'm still committed to the house of God. The only one in charge is God. Fauci's not in charge. Scarf Lady's not in charge. The top dogs in either of the political parties are not in charge. Jesus Christ is the one that I serve. God the Father is the one that I answer to. And he told me if you'll latch onto the church, he said I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But you've got to have some tenacity. We will not give up. We will not give in. We will not back up or back down. Luke 132. The word to Mary was, Jesus shall be great. Matthew 12 and 6. Jesus said of himself, In this place is one greater than the temple. Luke eleven thirty one. Jesus said, A greater than Solomon is here. He's great. So why do we back up? Why do we pout and despair? Don't we realize that our big brother is the lion of the tribe of Judah? And while Satan is the devouring lion, Jesus is the delivering lion. And the delivering lion has already defeated the devouring lion on Calvary, exposing the devil for who he is. The scripture says you are the lion's whelp. You are his offspring. The scripture says the righteous are to be bold as a lion. And finally, the scripture says greater is he that is living inside of you than he that is within the world. Tenacity. I will have tenacity not give up on my marriage. I will have tenacity and not give up on my family. I will have tenacity and not give up on my church. Somebody may take my seat, but they're not taking my place. 
Those of you that are watching me, I love you in the Lord. Somebody may have sat in your seat, but I promise you they haven't taken your place. It's time to dig in, dig deep, and take a deep breath and get a second wind and say, devil, I'm on to your plan of discouragement. I'm going to lay the bottle down, and I'm going to pick up the steak knife, and I'm going to get back to some good meat. I'm going to lay the pacifier aside and quit feeling sorry for myself. And let you know, enemy of my soul, that I am a force to be reckoned with because I'm part of a great church, a tenacious church. <laughs> I remember a family several years ago where my wife and I were pastoring. It was six, seven, maybe a seven-year-old girl that still walked around with a pacifier in her mouth. To sound like ESPN, come on, man! Pacifiers are for small, crying babies. And you know that it's bad for their teeth and you know good and well the dentist has told you that their teeth will be permanently damaged. But rather than a, than a few days of misery and breaking that child of a bad habit, you'd rather pay thousands of dollars later you could have avoided if you just faced the truth and dealt with it. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, absolutely. I imagine some folks are going to get hot with me today. But it's better for you to be hot with your pastor today than hot for all of eternity. Because you didn't lay down the pacifier of the cares of this world and determine I'll live a life of victory in Jesus' name. My God, that's good preaching. It may not sound theologically eloquent, but it's true. If you were looking for a theologian, you should have thought about that almost three years ago. Some of the best advice is just practical advice. This isn't for the sissy. This isn't for the faint of heart. This is fortitude. This is cross-bearing. Resistance, it's, it's hardwired into the human equation, but determination is in the fiber and the DNA of God's kids. James says, count it all joy. I love, the, I love the story of Acts chapter 5. The apostles are preaching, and miracles are happening, and the gospel's being spread. Lame men were leaping. Lying people were dying people. De demons were being evicted, and souls were being convicted. I mean revival, but religion didn't like it. And religion threw the apostles into prison, but in verse 19 of chapter 5, this is what the scripture says. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. And when he brought them forth, he did not say run for the hills. He did not say go to the forest. He did not say get out of town as quickly as you can. Oh no, quite the contrary. He said go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. They, they went from prison to preaching after they were thrown thrown into prison for preaching, and now you go to preaching again. And I, let me tell you, that takes some tenacity. 
That takes some determination. Verse 40 says, the authorities beat them and commanded them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They didn't get in a huddle and hide behind closed doors. The next verse says they, leaving out bloodied and bruised, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Friend, that's tenacity. Verse 42, and daily, every day, every day in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. That's tenacity. Look at your neighbor and say, you need some tenacity. Without resistance, there is no development. Without resistance, creativity dies. Without resistance, there is no fulfillment. Resistance is what enlarges the depth of our character. Resistance purifies our motives. Resistance reminds us of our dependence upon our Creator. Resistance prepares us for spiritual conflict. There's no testimony without a test. You can't have a miracle without a mess. And you can't have triumph if you don't have no tenacity about you. Jonathan Edwards said, resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. And then he wrote, resolved second, that whether others do or not, I will. That's tenacity. John Wesley ordained at 24 years old. He ministered for 64 years. He preached 42,400 sermons. He preached 15 times a week for 42 years. He traveled 290,000 miles on horseback. And he wrote 200 volumes of books. When he was dying at 88 years old, all he left behind was a wore-out coat, a battered hat, a humble cottage, a tattered Bible, and, oh yes, the Methodist church. A whole movement that reached countless thousands of people for Christ since his time. Will we be a great church? Are we a great church? I told you the very first Sunday, yeah, I think we're great. All is good. But does God think we're great? Does God think you're a great Christian? I think a great church has to be made up of great Christians. Can't have weak need jellyfish backbone nilly willy believers. 
that are pushed over with every wind of doctrine and every bit of adversity that comes their way. That's pitiful Christians. God wants great Christians. Great men, great women of God, great young people. That's what makes up a great church. Spirit of tenacity. Bow your heads with me if you would. Father, we've delivered our soul this morning as you have directed. Lord, as you look down upon the, not the church up the road, up Memorial or down Bob White, up East Main, not the church on Route 11 or on 114, but Lord, you're, you're looking down on us. Are we a grace church, a relational church, an evangelistic church, an anointed church? Are we a tenacious body of believers that have a determination that none of these things will move us? I know there are extenuating circumstances. Lord, My heart still breaks over a person in our church that told me just a few weeks ago that they so want to come back to church, but the doctor hasn't given them the green light. It would be highly risky for them. It just broke down, tears filled their eyes. Lord, it broke my heart. I know there are other extenuating circumstances, Lord. God, if I'm being judgmental, please forgive me because that's not my intent. And I just don't want to settle, Lord, for 20 to 30 percent of this congregation just disappearing. When I serve a Lord that said, there was 99 in the fold, but you still went out after the one that was missing. So, Lord, as I have led of the Spirit, I just, I just pray for, not only for everyone in this room, but also for, for those that are watching live stream or those that will watch this evening or this afternoon or later on this week. Maybe they'll be directed by your Spirit. Maybe somebody from this church will share it with them. Maybe somebody from this church will say, hey, you need to listen to that message. God has a word. Lord, we love your, we love your flock. We love your community. I just pray, Lord, today for the one that is floundering spiritually, that are in this room or that are watching they need prayer for their spiritual life. I pray for them today. And Lord, if you would want them to come and kneel at this altar to recommit to a life of tenacity and fortitude, then I pray your spirit will draw them even this very moment. 
Lord, today I also pray for the, the believer that is tired. This season has had an effect on all of us, but there are some that, that it is dramatically affected, and they're tired, and they need a fresh touch of God's strength. They just need to be enveloped in His love. If you're here this morning and something's just off, I'm not even implying that you're not a Christian, but something is just not right in your walk with God. You say, preacher, I need prayer. This altar's open for you, friend. Come. Maybe you're here and say, I'm a Christian, I'm devoted to God, but I've got to be honest with you, I'm zapped. I'm zapped. I, I, need, I need a touch from the Lord. You know, I need the angelic host to come down and minister to me. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted of the devil. At the end of that 40 days, the angels came and ministered to him, even in spite of all the wild beasts that were around him. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with the Father's will and going to the cross, the Bible says that his sweat became his great drops of blood. And then an angel came and ministered to him. If Jesus in his earthly body needed angelic strength from the Lord, from heaven, I guarantee you there are people in this room that need it as well. I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are. You say, I need a touch from God. Right where you are. Just right where you are. Just stand. Just stand. Just stand all over this house. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. But you just could use a, you, you just could use a supernatural touch right now. Maybe your tenacity's been compromised a little bit. And right where you stand, would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now? You that are standing. That's right, just lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know I need a brand new touch. You know I need a brand new touch. A brand new touch. I thank you for what you did last Sunday. I thank you for what you did this week. But I'm standing here today in need of a touch of God upon my life. And as I stand here with my hands raised, I believe, Lord, and I receive. I believe, Lord. Lord, minister to your people, even as they stand, even as they stand in your presence, minister to them right where they are. Speak your peace over them. Pronounce your blessing upon them. Give them a new determination. They're wondering about the ordering of their steps right now. It seems like it's not going in the direction that it needs to go. And God, they're in anguish over it. They're heavily burdened. 
that job hasn't broke loose yet, that that opportunity hasn't come, that healing hasn't taken place, that relationship has not been mended yet, and it is exhausting. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your presence. Sweet, sweet.